Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tecumloops Te Suetmuk, within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmuk Ulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. Today's episode is about learning, (laughs) doing stuff you kind of suck at, and how that's hard. Let's get into it. So it's never my intention to turn this podcast into a vanity project, Um, but I am going to tell you a little bit about an event I'm organizing this week because it's how I get to the conversation about mm, doing things you're bad at. (laughs) So some of you have probably heard the news stories about Ian Linkletter. He's an educational technologist, much like yours truly, um, but at the University of British Columbia. And he's been very critical of some of the proctoring services and surveillance technologies that are being used with students right now. And he's been really vocally critical on Twitter, including sharing some links to uh, some support materials that were available publicly and openly on YouTube, but were unlisted links. So Ian is being sued by the company he was being critical of. And it's something that troubles me (laughs) a lot. I can't imagine why. If you've seen my Twitter feed, you'll know I have nothing to concern myself with. Um, I'm concerned about any time critiques of educational technologies are squashed and not just because of personal self-interest, rational self-interest, um, But because oftentimes, you know, when universities select educational technologies, it goes through a process, but I would like to see the process by which we select educational technologies look a lot more like a research ethics board, where those ethical questions about how a technology is being used and whether or not it's right for our students would get properly heard. That isn't always the case. And many of you have come to sessions where I've talked about some of these ethical issues in educational technology. This this is very important to me in the work that I do and and the way I want to do my job well. So I'm organizing an event. It's going to be held on Tuesday morning, uh, 10 a.m. our time, Pacific time. Um, It's a teach-in against surveillance technologies in education. And we have some pretty phenomenal guest speakers at the event, Um, folks who are wonderful and (laughs) brilliant, people I admire deeply in the field. And it's been a real privilege um, to get to work with folks and to you know, create an event that, well, like an event that I would want to go to. Um, So the biggest name who is speaking at the event is Cory Doctorow, who you might know as a novelist um, and as somebody who is very outspoken about technology and privacy. Um, But other speakers include Maha Bali, who's 
an expert in care in education, Benjamin Dockstadter, who will be speaking to the sort of K-12 perspective on these technologies and how they function, um, Chris Gilliard, who concentrates on digital privacy surveillance and the intersections of class and race with technology, Sava Saheli Singh, who uh, is a postdoc at the Surveillance Studies Center at Queen's, um, or that was her last position, actually, I should say, uh, who's created a, a whole series of films about big data and data surveillance that are fantastic. Jesse Stommel, who many of you have heard me quote before, I admire him very much and his perspectives on education. And Audrey Waters, who is probably the only writer working right now whose entire beat is educational technology and understanding the relationships between politics and teaching and business and ed tech. So it's in a, it's a phenomenal lineup. And I kind of can't believe even that I'm exchanging email with most of these folks who I admire so deeply. The thing about event organizing, though, um, is that I've never done it. And I'm real bad at it. <laughs> and I, do, I don't mean that in like a faux, uh, modest kind of way. Planning an event requires tapping into all kinds of things that are not in my primary skill set. To plan an event well, you need to very clearly see your own limitations. Then you need to express those limitations to other people so that they can help you with it. Then you have to trust that those folks are going to come through for you and do what needs doing. You need to put your own ego aside and the way you think best to do things and listen to lots of other people take their advice on board. You need to push back sometimes, which I'm shockingly bad at. It's just been a whole growth experience and I'm fascinated by my own lack of skills in this area. I think there are things that I am good at. I think that event planning is not one of them. The reason why I bring that up on the podcast today, hey, everybody, here's the thing I'm bad at. Let's talk about it on the radio. is <laughs> because I'm actually thinking a lot about my former students. I'm thinking a lot about your current students. I'm thinking a lot about how hard it is to just learn how hard it is to sit with the process of learning and how hard it is to be bad at stuff. Like, because it takes a while of being bad at stuff before you're good at stuff. And I've been working on this event for, well, maybe we're getting on for eight weeks-ish, maybe a little more now. And uh, I haven't gotten any better at event planning in eight whole weeks, everybody, which may not be surprising to you, but I find it to be egregious. <laughs> And I'm thinking about students sitting in a classroom where they feel like they're not making up any ground week after week for long periods of time and how frustrating it is and how cool it is of them to stick with it. <laughs> Maybe I just want people to tell me I'm being cool because I'm sticking with it. Intellectually, I know that I am learning. I know that there's a lot happening right now that I will put to good use in the future. I know that I am testing myself in all kinds of ways and coming up short sometimes, but also recognizing where my areas of growth are. I'm seeing all the potential professional development that I could do around these ideas to be better at this job and the way we promote the events that we run in this department. I know all of that intellectually and also I'm really tired. <laughs> because knowing all of that intellectually doesn't actually make it any easier to sit with the being 
bad at something. You've all learned a lot this semester, and I think at least some of the discomfort that we've gone through together through this period is just because learning is really hard. It just is, and sometimes it sucks. <laughs> Welcome to the Teaching and Learning Podcast, where the host tells you that learning sucks, but like it kind of does sometimes, and you know I'm right. So as we head towards finals week, I'm thinking with deep empathy about folks who are learning right now through some of the most challenging circumstances any of us have ever put ourselves through. My hat is off to each and every person who is undertaking a new task right now because I swear to God I will never plan another event as long as I live. <laughs> I hope you'll buy a ticket for this one though. Everything I've just set aside, I think it's going to be great. <laughs> My own anxieties and ramblings aside, God, I hope you got something out of that. I feel better. <laughs> I've invited Trent Tucker here on the show today to talk to you about his learning and growing process. Trent, I would say, is the faculty member I know of who has launched headfirst into producing audio and video with the most gusto. And I think you can learn something from his enthusiasm. Let's jump in and let Trent tell you all about it. Okay, so I am here today with Trent Tucker. Trent, would you introduce yourself to folks and let them know where they might have run into you in what I lovingly call the before times? In the before times, well, uh, let's see. My name is Trent Tucker, and I'm an associate teaching professor in the School of Business and Economics. Um, I just joined TRU back in January of 2020, pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people might know me from, let's see, I was at the Teaching and Learning Day in uh, during the Reading Week. Um, I usually hang out uh, at all of the Celt events online, uh, picking up tips and tricks and things like that. So, um, and you might see me on a Sunday afternoon with a handheld video camera making a welcome to the week video for my students out on the quad or the circle in front of the uh, International Building. Nice. I love that. Um, speaking of video, actually, it's kind of why I wanted you on the show today. I'm not sure any teaching faculty member on campus has spent more time thinking about video and audio and putting together like a really good AV experience for students this semester as you. Like, I think that's it's been really interesting to watch your progress on Twitter and watch your toolkit expand. Um, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about sort of the leap into fully online teaching and and how you've, I think, really embraced it. I'm not sure if it feels that way from your perspective, but that's what I see. <laughs> well, thank you for the high praise. Um, I, I guess it really started with uh, when we were kind of tossed into the blender the in you know March timeframe. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, now I have to do this face-to-face -face thing, but online. How, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I, I sort of thought about my, you know, my sort of opening shtick, uh, when I have a, a class, I sort of walk in and, you know, here's some some news for the week and here's something I found in the news that ties into the, the content we're talking about in class today. And um, I thought, how can I how can I reproduce that? So um, I decided to do a Rick Mercer style rant. And, and that's the Sundays out in the um, 
is that main area of campus have a name? It's not a quad because it's round. Yeah, I don't know. I call it the quad because I don't know what else to call it. It's see, I'm also new, right? So I got no idea. Somebody will tell us. <laughs> I just, I, actually, I call it the grassy knoll. I and, like that. And students don't usually get the illusion, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, I'll go to the grassy knoll with my handheld camera and say, hey, everybody, welcome to the week. You know, here's what's coming up. These assignments do these dates. And here's the content I owe you. And then I will, um, I'll end it with, you know, here's the forecast for the week and and, you know, it's going to be sunny most of the week, but uh, down to single digit temperatures. And it, it just sort of, you know, like my, my body craves going out at Sunday around lunchtime and, and shooting this thing. So uh, I've had a lot of fun with that. And I did some variations on that. I did the, uh, the dark and spooky uh, abandoned building thing, you know, going into the national building uh, around Halloween time. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good way to kind of introduce to the students. Here's what's going on this week. And it's amazing. I'll go out and I'll shoot uh, three minutes of video, four minutes of video for my two classes, come home and do the edits. And it'll take an hour yeah. um, to, to actually, you know, have the final, you know, nine, two 90 second videos ready to go. I'm getting better at it though. It is a, it's an investment in the skill set. It's an investment in sort of learning what tricks work. It's also, I think, an investment in deciding kind of what level of perfection you need to hit and where the rough edges are okay to leave in. Um, how are the students responding to those videos? I really don't know. I, I think they, <laughs> I think they watch them because uh, when we have our weekly, you know, synchronous time, um, they'll make comments about about videos. You know, and um, it, it's 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 fun to see. So you, I know that some people are watching them and, and picking up things, and and uh, yeah, I, it's really hard to tell out there in out there in video land. But you talk you talk about uh, the perfection. You know, I used to be a perfectionist, and then I started creating these videos. I'm like, I don't have time for perfection. I'll just kind of do what I do, and if I make mistakes. You know, I'll throw those into a blooper reel at the end, and and students can watch the very end, and they'll see, you know, uh, a little one second, you know, uh, what's it called? Test pattern, yeah, test pattern. Oh, test pattern! Oh, fun! Yeah, so the old test pattern comes on in the in the twelve hertz hum or whatever it is, and then they'll see the cut of you know me swearing on my my. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I counted the swearing part, but you know, the wind blowing stuff around and whatever it might be. So, the blooper reel stuff is fun, and it costs nothing, right? And it builds rapport. Yeah. Um, when I was a little girl, this is a total non sequitur, but um, my brother told me. My, I had an older brother, who's six years older than me, five and a half, and he he told me that uh, when the test pattern comes on, it means that everyone at the TV station is dead. <laughs> <laughs> flat out terrified of test patterns for like half a decade easy yeah <laughs> they still unsettle me deeply um, um but yeah no I love that and and part of the thing too is that those imperfections as you say they build rapport they humanize us right and our students are struggling with our expectations and they're struggling with things like putting together their own video assignments right so knowing that you mess up sometimes and that you survive and it's all okay is really really valuable for them even if it feels a little bit weird to be in that position yes i model failure on a <laughs> on a continuing <laughs> basis yes 
That's very true. Um, so you've learned a ton in the last semester and a bit about video and about audio and about connecting with students online. Do you have any sort of tips you would give to someone who has just woken up from the ice flows and is going into the classroom for the first time fully online in January? Well, I would say um, audio beats video every day. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. On this podcast, I agree. (laughs) If you you have a good microphone, uh, you can get away with a lot. you can, you can make up for bad video. So um, don't see it as an expense, see it as an investment. Mm-hmm. And I've probably been investing too much in microphone technology. Um, but, you know, I have my, my little handheld camera and it has a built-in mic and it's pretty good. Uh, but after going out on the grassy knoll, I discovered there's a lot of wind noise and, yes. you know, background noise. So... Uh, I, lucky for me, I happen to have a lavalier mic. I clip onto my jacket and I plug it into the side of the camera and I eliminate that. So, you know, there's a whole lot of trial and error. Or I'll go out and I'll shoot my 90 second Welcome to the Week video and I'll come back and I'll go, well, that looks really bad because the camera was pointing directly into the sunlight. And so, <laughs> so I'll go back and I'll, I'll shoot it again. Um, but it's, it's the kind of thing where you, you sort of, you go, when I go out there, I go, okay, I stand here. These are the shadows and the trees when I, you know, when I'm like Rick Mercer, you know, wandering around turning my body, um, mm-hmm. the camera will pick up the wolf on top of the Brown House of Learning. It'll pick up, you know, certain um, uh, campus highlights that, you know, I sort of consciously want to include. Right. Um, so, if, you know, I've, I've got... You know, a lot of trial and error. I know where the spot is to stand and and how it looks and what settings on the camera. And so I can go out and, and not have to recreate that every single time. So the learning curve has been, you know, I ascended it. And so my advice to people new to video in the new year, uh, be like Nike, you know, just do it. Try it out. Um, it's, it's video. It doesn't cost anything. You can get into creating videos for zero dollars on your on your cell phone mm-hmm. um and then you know maybe invest a little bit of money in a in a lavalier mic or a desk mic yeah this is good advice something that john fulton has pointed out to folks before is um having to listen hard is really cognitively difficult right so it, it saps a lot of your energy to try to have to like listen in and hear what somebody is is getting at um it's a lot less of a cognitive load to kind of tolerate maybe crappy video or not quite perfect or a little bit shaky video. Um, But you can still get the content and information as long as the audio is clear. The other thing too is if you're captioning your videos, the captions are only ever going to be as good as the audio that goes in, right? So investing in a decent microphone for that, it saves you time in the long run. So Exactly. And I I do my, um, my synchronous sessions with my grad students, I do Big Blue Button. And with mm-hmm. my undergrads, I do Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just an idiosyncratic thing that I do. But I have been using PowerPoint. And PowerPoint will auto-capture or auto-caption yeah. your uh, voice. So I share my PowerPoint screen. Mm-hmm. And as I speak to the students, it automatically captures. And it's pretty good. It's not great. but ask, it's, Are you finding it okay? Yeah, I'm finding it tolerable. 
-hmm. And I've, I've actually had students ask, why isn't the captioning working? And I'm like, I don't know, something's up with my mic today. Um, you know, it says low input volume, and I'm adjusting every single thing I can find to maximize it. But um, the students like the the captioning on the PowerPoint, and I yeah. don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're, you know, just turning off the audio and, and kind of watching on the screen. Maybe they got something else going on. Who knows? But um, yeah, it seems to it seems to work really slick. And yeah, it's, we're we're definitely increasingly seeing students having that expectation of video being captured. There's some really interesting research, particularly on Generation Z learners and their expectation that they can um, sort of multitask using captions on on any kind of video content they're experiencing. And it comes from the way they consume media too, which is, you know, typically with captions on. So it's a real shift in the way we use video, but it, it's great for all kinds of reasons. We were talking about this with Chris Adam last week, I guess, whether it's, a, an, whether it's, you know, a processing disorder and it's an accommodation from the institution or just, you know, you've got to keep your volume down because you've got a house full of people. Like either way, caption helps, right? Language acquisition, captions help. So yeah, it's, um, we used to kind of think of it as an extra, but I think increasingly we need to think of it as a, a requirement of our, our courses going forward. So I'm glad to know PowerPoint works for you because I've been wondering about on the fly solutions. Yeah, no, it seems to work fairly well. And going back to the, the whole uh, Gen Z thing or Gen Z, I guess we're in Canada. Um, <laughs> my, my daughter who is, uh, 23, um, she will watch everything on Netflix with captions on. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's just part of her routine, sort of that multitasking. I can listen if I want. If I want to listen to something else or I don't have the attention right at that moment for the audio, I can see it on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, if I need to mute something to take a call, I can still watch the Netflix and see the, the dialogue. So. Yeah, the, it's good to have this uh, dual modality for sure. Yeah, it's just really interesting how it's had this huge uptake recently. And really, it's because it's ubiquitous. Like when I was a kid, if you wanted to turn on captioning, you had to have like special equipment to be able to do that, right? And in such a short space of time, it's just the default. And it's I think it might even be the default on Netflix for kids now, because I don't ever remember turning it on. But my son's programming is all the captions are always on by default. And I like it for him for language acquisition, right? For seeing how words are spelled. It's handy. That's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about kind of like tech stuff. We've talked about uh, your video practice, which I really just, I'm going to come to campus some Sunday and watch you do this. Um, <laughs> and, and, and this tip about mics is really important. What else have you learned this term? What else is really sticking with you in terms of, um, the experience with your students so far this semester? Um, not, a, not, a, not a small question, I recognize. <laughs> yeah, I, I use a lot of um, different modalities. So um, we have, the, my courses, I told them right up front, everything is asynchronous. Everything you need to succeed in this class is online. It's there for you. Work at your own pace. If you want to binge watch all of my Excel videos, feel free if you want to just um, parcel them out over time, that's okay too. It's all there for you. The time we meet um, online, our synchronous time during regular class time is set up basically almost like a, an extended, you know, what's going on this week kind of video thing. Uh, and then I'll do Q&A and um, 
get into details and, and do examples, but it's not formal teaching. And of course, everything's recorded and, and made available to them. So that's that's been part of the practice. But within the asynchronous videos, um, you know, I, I've I've got uh, a graphics tablet so I can annotate uh, PDF documents. And I can do a voice. So it's not just voice over PowerPoint. It's, you know, here are the notes, here is the diagram. Um, and I'm annotating over that. Um, I recently bought a whiteboard and I can set up my video camera pointing at the whiteboard and I actually get fairly good resolution out of that. And now I can do, you know, teaching videos like I'm actually teaching in front of a whiteboard again. So I'm pretty excited about that. I bet. You know, the smell of xylene markers and the, <laughs> the squeak of the whiteboard marker and the, the black soot on your fingers when you wipe the board and all that. So, and when I do Excel videos, um, I have another piece of software which will capture all the keystrokes because I used to get students saying, well, what was that formula or how did you do that? So much like I can close caption, if you will, um, an Excel video, here's this formula and they see it, they can't really read the, what I'm typing in because it's pretty small, but they have a, a caption bar below that gives them the full thing, right? So all of those little things, I think about, you know, what is this video for? What's the tool I need to do it? Is it a stand up in front of the whiteboard video? Is it a, a voiceover Excel video, whatever it might be? How long do your videos run in general? Too long. <laughs> Making a short video is really freaking hard. It's, it's like the old Mark Twain, or I think it was, you know, I'd write a longer letter, but I didn't have to, or a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. <laughs> totally true um i will record uh, things and i'll look at the clock and I'll go has it been 20 minutes already <laughs> and then i'll have to find a natural point in the video to break it and say you know here's part one of you know this four-part trilogy and away they go with that so i'm glad to know you're breaking it up i mean from <laughs> nothing else the upload to cultura on those long videos can just kill some folks and they're i just imagine I don't know. I don't love sitting in front of the computer looking at video. So the idea of it being broken up is really um, appealing to me personally as a learner. I try not to always infuse my own personal preferences when I give advice to folks, but I, I don't know anybody who likes to sit in front of a really long instructional video. I, I do the same thing, right? When I watch um, LinkedIn learning videos, I'll watch them at uh, speed and a half. And if I'm not kind mm -hmm. of getting what I want out of it, I'll just quit and find another video. Mm -hmm. the, other th the other thing I do is a really low-tech approach. So you've got notes. You can just read the PDF document and try it on your own. If you get stuck, then you can use the video mm -hmm. as a resource. Um, mm -hmm. There's sort of a before, here's the first version of the spreadsheet, and then here's the finished uh, problem completion version. So if you're competent in Excel, you don't need the notes. You don't need the video. Open up the original problem. Try it for yourself and then see if you get the same solution. So there's lots of um, choice for the students on how they wish to use these materials. How do you find they're doing this term? With the content? Yeah, with the content. Just even just, I mean, in all factors, but in particular, do you find that they're responding well to the, to the choice and to the options? I think so. Um, the, the content... In my MBA course, 
which has got my largest enrollment, which is kind of my reference. Um, you know, we used to have 10 assignments and now we've parsed it down to six. So we've, you know, sort of chunked out a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I've been very flexible on deadlines. They have a get out of jail free card so they can, you know, if they get stuck with time crunch or whatever, you know, bail on that assignment without a penalty and things like that. So there's oh, great strategy. There's those kinds of things. Um, and I find, um, I don't, I, I have a sense that, that maybe some of them are struggling a bit with um, everything, <laughs> you know, yeah. managing that, that part-time job and that full-time uh, course load and, uh, you know, being away from home. And a yeah. pandemic. <laughs> there is a pandemic going on. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> I'm sort of struck by the moments when I feel like I'm being expected to act as if everything is normal. I find them really unsettling in a way that uh, sometimes even takes me by surprise, right? Because it's nothing is normal. I don't feel normal ever. Maybe I'm maybe I'm really feeling this pandemic, but I just feel like there's a, a, a latent anxiety about the world. I'm grateful I'm not trying to take a class right now. I have to say, uh, I know the feeling. I have. I mean, I have two two. Two kids. Mm-hmm. One is finished her undergraduate degree. She's taking a postgraduate or post diploma uh, mm-hmm. courses at, at college, and my son is in second year uh, university. And I keep asking them, you know, tell me what the you, your profs are doing. What are their best practices? Those my kids don't tell me anything, so I'm in the dark. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I check in with them and I say, you know, how are things going? And, and they're finding it tough as well you know that this this new modality of uh sitting at home you know looking at my screen again is uh it's tough what will you take with you you've spent you've invested a lot i mean you in particular we all have invested a lot of labor but you've invested a lot in learning a a particular set of skills or developing a particular set of skills what about the way you're teaching in this crisis mode do you think you'll stick with as you move into hopefully one day non-crisis mode teaching where we're face-to-face again and stuff. <laughs> when we're face-to-face again and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would keep uh, some of the good things about this. Um, you know, there's, I, I've been follow. I'm on, I'm on Twitter and I follow a number of people and people have been saying, you know, this isn't all bad, this online stuff. And that, you know, that whole Rick Mercer rant weekly video thing, keep that up. It builds rapport. It costs mm-hmm. nothing. And um, do I incorporate that video, you know, walk into a class and say, hey, everybody, you know, here's, uh, here's a video for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at the University of Guelph teaching the big 600-seater uh, uh, undergraduate business class, uh, you know, you kind of had to be larger than life because you're a little tiny figure run, running around and moving your hands and trying to grab people's attention away from their screens, which is kind of odd these days. Uh, but I would do um, news of the week. So I had a green screen set up and, you know, the, the music would come on. Duh, 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 duh. And then, you know, in business news this week. <laughs> I love that. And it was it was one of these things where right in the middle of the class, I'd stop and run the business news segment for a minute just to give people a cognitive break and, and give them a little bit of entertainment and get them to think about the content in context. And um, 
I've been doing that with the videos as well, that if you're gonna sit through a 20 minute Excel video, you might get rewarded with um, the chocolate chip cookie dough recipe. Nice. It's a different modality. And I, I you know, I've, I've had students wondering what the next recipe is going to be. So I love that, you know, and it, it does infuse a level of humanity. Uh, and just, I don't know, I, I think I really miss engaging with students as people, um, which in my role uh, was already kind of hard to do um, and something I had to work at intentionally. But now I really only engage with students when they, well, when there's a massive crisis they need me to help fix or, um, or you know, it's, it's very transactional. Like I don't have casual conversations with students anymore and I, I miss it. So I like hearing about ways in which that kind of just incidental conversation is still being built into our classrooms because I think it's it's a loss when it goes away you know and I find it, when I do the synchronous pieces um, before you know it'll be like an 11:30 start so at about 11:27 I'll start a, a video always a music video always Canadian content nice and then in the chat I will type in useless trivia, Trent's useless trivia about, you know, <laughs> this Bare Naked Ladies video was filmed in uh, Scarborough and it's really a cover of a Bruce Coburn song. You know, and nice. people pick up on that and then I get other stories, you know, hey, I met Bruce Coburn, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, cool. So it's good. That's fun. And I think the the reward for taking the time to do that when I think sometimes it feels like, but I have all this content I have to cover, but... Students are much more able to work with the content when they feel some sense of connection. So it's worth it. It's worth taking the time to build those spaces. And I think I think as professors, we feel that our, our content is thou shalt cover this many chapters <laughs> of the textbook. And I learned I learned really in my first year of teaching that I can't cover it all Mm-mm. in the time given. And I really need to focus on the most important bits. And I started telling students you know, you will learn in this class, but you won't learn in this classroom. You'll learn mm-hmm. hanging out in your dorm room with your buddies or around the kitchen table or in the library or working on a project. That's where learning happens, you know, mm-hmm. not the 90 minutes with me, although that is special for sure. Well, and better to establish for yourself the skills students need to leave the class with and worry about in this context, especially worry about nailing the skills um, and and stress less about the content, right? If they're missing a critical fact in the next iteration of the course or the subject matter they move on to, they can get that fact, right? But if they're missing the skill set that allows them to succeed in the next piece, that's a problem. And I think especially right now when our students are feeling so wildly overwhelmed, um, figuring out how to focus on what they really need for that next step is is important. And it's hard, right? Because we all got into our disciplines because we love them and we like teaching them and we want to talk about stuff, right? So I get that it's hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Trent, this was fantastic. I'm grateful for you taking the time to chat. I will include, uh, if you don't mind, some pictures to things you've posted or some links to things you've posted on Twitter, like your green screen setup, which I think is pretty epic. Sure. <laughs> awesome. So people can see that you really have been playing with just about everything, figuring out what works for you. Um, anything you want to share with folks, particularly looking towards winter semester? Maybe they're feeling a little bit anxious about about heading back to it in the winter. Do you have anything you would share with an instructor in that position? Um, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, have, have fun with it. Um, mm-hmm. I... 
when I do my synchronous time with the students, uh, you know, I'll put on my radio voice and, and I feel like <laughs> Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP. <laughs> you know, hey, students out there in Radio Land. Oh, wait, we've got Brenna typing in a comment in the chat. Let's see what she's going to say. You know, <laughs> and it's and it's fun. Oh, you know, you know, so and so, you know, unmute your mic. Okay, well, let's, you know, you're on the air. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because I feel like a radio host. I got, I got, I'm wearing headphones because that's the way I can best hear them. I've yeah. got a microphone in front of me. Um, I feel like a radio host. I might as well, you know, play the part. So I like it. There's a larger message there. Just lean into it, lean into it and enjoy, right? <laughs> yeah. Have fun with it because, yeah. uh, don't, don't see it as, as a chore. See it as, Hey, you know, this is fun. I get to, I get to create something different each week. Love it. Thanks so much, Trent. That was perfect. Thanks for coming to chat. You're very welcome, Brenna. Take care. Take care. (laughs) So that is it for episode 13 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. I'm also on Twitter, at Brenna C. Gray, and in both cases, that's Gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca. Of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip, and it returns to me being bad at event planning. Yeah, you know what? I'm not done. I'm still venting. It's been hard, okay? just joking mostly um no the reason i'm saying that is because i think that something we could offer to our students right now is a recognition of how hard they have worked this semester we're all staring down the barrel of finals and it's stressful and we're all staring down the barrel of a winter break that's going to look unlike any previous winter break I keep looking at the numbers and I keep listening to Dr. Bonnie and I am running out of hope and steam and I think everyone is. Can you take some time this week to check in with students and let them know that you can see how hard they've worked? And can you check in with them and give them some reinforcement about the learning they've done separate from their grades? I think probably the students right now who need to know you see them are the ones who are struggling with their marks, but are still learning and sitting with the discomfort and they're still with you and they've made it this far. Can we take a minute to celebrate that a little bit before we jump right into finals? I don't know what that will look like for you. I'm a masochist and I used to write thank you notes to all my students at the end of term. I loved the process of doing it, but I always, always left it to the last minute and would stay up all night writing notes. I don't actually recommend that strategy. (laughs) But maybe an email check-in or a little bit of audio feedback on an assessment or, you know, maybe uh, you reach out with a message to the whole class in a video that just talks about how you know how hard everyone's working and that you know that maybe their outcomes aren't quite where they would have hoped for themselves or that you can see that they're not always getting it, but that they're trying. You know, my generation gets a bad rap for being the trophy generation. I'd like to point out when we were five, we were not giving ourselves the trophies. 
other people were giving us the trophies. Um, but it does help to know that you are seen in your struggle. Maybe that's why I told you how crappy I am at event planning. <laughs> anyway, see if you can find a way to see your students this week and to let them know that you're grateful that they've stuck with you through the muck. Because I know you are. Y'all tell me about it all the time. Until next time, we'll talk soon. I'm going to make it, and so are you. We're almost there. Hold on tight.